welcome to episode 14 of Short Box Summary. I'm your host, George. Joining me again, my partner in crime, my, my PIC, my partner in comics, Fabio. Fabio, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. I'd like to preface anything I say by letting you guys know we don't do crimes. We're um, very law-abiding and, uh, if anything, like lawful neutral. That's a fair point. Lawful I mean, good. Lawful we, good. we record a podcast about comic books, so that should tell you just how dangerous we usually get with our lives. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of it like the FBI, like coming and like doing like a fucking breakdown on doors for some guy that records a comic podcast. Yeah. I don't know, but I just don't think so. I could be wrong. Even if they torrented those comics from like Demonoid or Pirate Bay or something, I bet there's not even a list because of that. Just because ah, it's comics fucking losers. Yeah, what they don't know is how many war crimes we discuss about these comics. <laughs> yeah. They'd have to listen fast the first couple minutes to get to that. <laughs> yeah, how you doing, bud? I'm good. I'm good. I got a little. I got a little. <laughs> sounds t- like you're convincing yourself. I don't know. Uh, I got a little toothache. I'm, you know, I'm a bit yeah. of a hypochondriac trying to convince myself it's not actually a big deal. But besides that, I'm great. I bought Elden Ring this mm-hmm. week. And that game is kicking my ass. I assume you're kicking its ass because you're good at those games. I'm two full bosses in so far. So that's about as far as I've gotten. But yeah, this is not an Elden Ring podcast because I almost went down that road, George. I almost just was like about to go into a spiel about what you need to do. And (laughs) it's not that. Well, I was going to ask. Yeah, this is not a video game podcast. I would like to talk about video games at some point on this show. Very specific games. But until that day. I'm going to very generally say in Elden Ring, you're not supposed to fight that guy on the horse when you get out of the, no, the cave no, of knowledge. No, he kicked right? my ass. And even after I leveled up a whole bunch and explored a whole bunch, it took me a while to come back to him and finally get him. Yeah, so. I'm I'm playing as a samurai. So I snuck past uh, that guy. Then I found some weird harpy bird monsters, kicked their ass. I felt pretty good. And then I came oh, up wow. to like an old abandoned base like some ruins and there was a message that said there's something in the ruins and i'm like oh that's probably treasure i mean realistically it's like an ultra powerful boss but uh i'm gonna assume like i'm a glass half full kind of guy i'm just gonna assume it's treasure and i go in there except i don't go in there because i managed to kill one guard outside and then another guard and i could have sworn i killed him so i stopped attacking and then he just wrecked me in like three hits after that and then i died and then i was like you know what george you're had a couple of glasses of wine. You had a really good time watching that movie Draft Day. Maybe, um, maybe come back to this after some some water and some rest. You know, a little shut eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fresh mind. Uh, I can definitely say that this is like one of the most exciting open world games I've played since. Like, it's got like this weird Shadow of the Colossus, Zelda, Breath of the Wild vibe, but just like very fucking fun. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Very cool. Very cool. Did you also have fun with Captain America out of oh, time? That's right. Captain America. Did you also have fun with that? Uh, Captain America. Captain America. Yes. Uh, Captain America. Uh, he's a guy. Um, he's not in Elden Ring. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool, I guess. But other than the not in Elden Ring part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say he's the coolest thing that's not in Elden Ring. You know? Yeah. No, but um, yeah, this is a really interesting uh, series that you gave me here because I've never read any Captain America before. This is my first one. Captain uh, America had a bit of an identity crisis uh, in the 90s. They just kept trying to 
keep him current with 90s trends, I guess. And it just never really seemed authentic. And then we talked about this. Marvel filed for bankruptcy. There was like a soft reboot of a whole bunch of their books. Like Captain America, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, and the Avengers. That happened in like a, a side universe. And that flopped historically. So then they brought them back. And they did like a classic reinterpretation of the characters. But then people wanted like darker, grittier things. Like not necessarily extreme of the 90s. But like a more grounded realistic approach so there was a captain america book that lasted like 30 issues called marvel knights captain america and that very very first comic was about him chasing down radical fundamentalist terrorists you know because it took place in that time of our lives which i guess is still going on i guess um i've only for that series i've only read the first story in that book and the last story in that book and it just it becomes a cartoon like it it's like the first story is written by John Ray Niver, I think is his name. And uh, like super serious, uh, super, super serious story. And then the last story is like the dumbest comic book I've ever read. And it was like written by like Robert Kirkman, who would like go on to do like Walking Dead and the dumbest Invincible. Show ever made. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, like entertaining, but like this wasn't particularly entertaining. The art was really good. I think it was Phil Hester. I like his stuff. Well, after hard. season three, I was not entertained, so I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. So what what year was this comic written? This was 2004. So we are talking about Captain okay. America Volume 5 from 2004. And the first six issues we're talking about today, that is a story called Man Out of Time. It is done by writer Ed Brubaker, artist Steve Epting, and I believe an additional artist, Butch Geist, did issue five, I believe. Hey, everyone. Future George from the editing booth here, stepping in to say that past George, the one you're hearing on the podcast normally, totally wrong. Uh, The artist he is incorrectly naming right now, it's not Butch Geist, it's not Mike Perkins. They worked on the series, but much, much later. Uh, The artist is Michael Lark, who stepped in for issue five to do the flashback. We'll get to that, don't worry. But uh, Michael Lark and Ed Brubaker actually worked together on Gotham Central, a DC book that I think we talk about a little bit later in the show. So that's nice. That's good. A nice working relationship that they've got there, doing a whole bunch of books together. That's We always like to see that. Um, have a good podcast, and I will talk to you later. Love you, Pastor George. Bye. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that kind of explains the time. I feel like a lot of the comics that we've read... <laughs> have been like post 9-11 very intense on like the Afghan war and um, or Iraqi war sorry and uh, yeah I feel like I feel like there's a lot of like obvious uh, nods (laughs) to what's going on politically at that time yeah Um, and definitely some some uh xenophobia as well <laughs> but uh yeah it's a really interesting time in comics because it's it's very politically uh, charged um, yeah so was this one very very much so um you want to jump into it you want to start talking yeah. talking the book all right yeah all right the story opens five years ago on the russian kazakhstani border two soldiers pull an incapacitated russian hero named the red guardian up to general alexander lukin a russian military member meeting with of all villains the red skull the red skull is stoked he's about to see a hero die but lukin regrets what he's about to do 
Weakened on his knees, the Red Guardian tells Lucan that he's under arrest for crimes against Mother Russia. Mother Russia, Lucan responds, I'm sorry to tell you that I am all that is left of the true Mother Russia, and executes him on the spot. Lucan tells his men to treat the body like one of their own, and plans to tell President Yeltsin's government where they can find the body. Lucan continues into a facility with a red skull, and we learn he's selling him old Soviet weapons as the Union collapses. Walking through the weapon stores, they come across a tube with a man inside, and Red Skull loses his shit. Skull wants it, but Lucan won't part with him unless he's willing to trade it for the Cosmic Cube, something that's sort of like the Infinity Gauntlet, granting whoever holds it any wish they want and reshaping uh, reality to accommodate it. Didn't know that. That puts a lot of perspective in this. Yeah, act. so... Is this the Tesseract? No, right? Basically, yeah. So, like, the Tesseract okay. first showed up, like, in the MCU in... Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess, the, I guess the Captain America movies, like, where we first saw it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was in a cube, and so everyone thought it was a Cosmic Cube. I thought it was the Cosmic Cube because it was a goddamn cube. Like, what, what, no, what, yeah. what else would it be if it was a cube? Didn't know it was going to be the Infinity Stones, um, but it, it basically is, like, diet Infinity Gauntlet, you know? Like... It was a really big plot device in the early Captain America stories from the 60s, like right when they sort of like brought the character back. And in fact, when Captain America was like first brought back, I think he was like in World War II still. Like they were doing World War II comics in the 60s. Okay. And then they brought him forward in time, like with Avengers number four, they found his body in, in ice. Okay, Whew. so yeah, this is um, my first time reading like as with Red Skull as like any antagonist or anything um so yeah this was kind of cool uh getting to see some of these characters red guardian we know from the scarlet uh scarlet scarlet what's what's her fuck not scarlet witch <laughs> fucking black scarlet johansson that's right yeah. <laughs> damn it i was like why am i saying scarlet so many times um yeah the uh black widow movie <laughs> yeah so yeah this was kind of cool to see like they're not in it for very long but you know it's kind of cool to see some of these characters uh, yeah and red skull i think is actually a great villain because you're not confused about how you're supposed to feel about him you know like the dude's like a straight up nazi like you, you know, there's no there's no like mincing feelings about him you know it's not like magneto where it's just like oh he's doing all this but he like he's doing it for the right reason like no red skull never does anything for the right reason ever he does it strictly for the worst reasons like i think that makes him a great villain because you don't have to think too much you just know like oh that's a bad guy who does bad things yeah yeah no yeah he uh he makes it pretty clear uh, <laughs> throughout this comic <laughs> yeah. that there's like no saving like like or, uh there's no redemption for him no yet. no like it's he's just a piece of shit true true uh it turns out skull doesn't have the cosmic cube anymore and he's shocked that lucan knows about it at all he says he has agents coming the world over trying to find it and the world is just straight up fucked if he does in the present red skull is having a cocktail in a new york city skyrise celebrating that he finally retrieved the cosmic cube he says in a few hours paris london and manhattan will burn for him the death and destruction will transmute into energy filling the imperfect cosmic cube made from shards of other cubes he references everything cap has lost including hawkeye and the avengers and he says but i know you rogers i know what losing people does to you you're at your lowest point and that's why you'll never see me coming this time i disagree i think if you're at your lowest point you uh you probably will see it coming you know yeah yeah i um i didn't realize what a f 
fucking whiny baby Captain America. Was. <laughs> hey man, he's he's been going through a lot, okay? Yeah, I mean, I guess over the last like what hundred years or whatever the fuck, like yeah. sixty years, I don't even know. Um, yeah, I didn't expect him to uh, to be the way he is in this this book at all. Yeah, I think it was kind of a growing period for him and uh i don't know the the book i i think is we're gonna talk about this later as well too yeah. but like i think this captain america volume it's like 50 issues for this run and then it, the same writer and generally same artist uh go on like an extended run after that too with okay. across like different books and so like i think it's like one of the great accomplishments in captain america comics like in, in marvel comics in general that i makes guess sense yeah um and so like I, I think he's really telling like a whole story across very 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 many issues no yeah and uh what were the were there any release issues with this one i think there was like a, a month or two delays with like okay. between one of the books but like nothing like what happened with iron man whatsoever okay, okay. cool all right yeah Steve is working out in his apartment. Steve being Steve Rogers, Captain America. I'm going to use not that. Steve Bannon. I know not that Steve. Yeah, that, that dude never works out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to use those names pretty interchangeably. Not Bannon, but like Steve, Captain America, Rogers, all that. Just because I feel like a loser when I'm writing a script and I just say, Captain America does this. Captain America does that. I got to mix it up a little bit just to keep it exciting. Uh, also, topically, um, there's a high chance that Steve Bannon bases his entire personality off of Red Skull. So this might be a good jumping in point to learn about Steve Bannon. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> They've already both got unsettling faces. Yeah, and want the same things. So it's yeah. perfect. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I think Steve Bannon's face is like haunting. It is. It's honestly like, okay, so it makes me feel like red skulls um uh, uh ultimate goal of just like mass murder right mm -hmm. is what yeah. like can give something power so mm -hmm. like i feel like that's what steve bannon's been trying to find <laughs> and that's why he's just like aging decrepitly and is just trying to do whatever he can to find something to reverse that oh yeah it looks like his face is like 19 years older than the rest of his body like his face has already died you know yeah 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 it's medical death yeah, yeah. steve is working out in his apartment and he's a million miles away when sharon carter agent of shield ask him how he's doing through dialogue we learn that sharon agent 13 is steve's ex-girlfriend and she volunteered to be his personal shield liaison Confused why she'd volunteer, she answers, quote, maybe because I thought you needed someone who'd treat you like a person, not a living legend, who wouldn't pee their pants just to meet you. And maybe I thought you'd open up to me more than you did the therapist in your annual evaluation, which I read by the way. <laughs> and you're lucky that guy didn't know you as well as I used to, or you might not have your security clearances right now. She says he's freaking her out by being too extreme, and it flashes back to something that happened a week earlier. So that's like a big invasion of privacy, right? Like a doctor, doctor, patient confidentiality. I understand he's like technically an asset in addition to being like a weapon, I guess, like in addition to being like a person. But like you'd think that yeah, uh, kind of, uh, what, what you say to a therapist stays between you and the therapist. You'd think. Um, yeah, I uh, the more I read about S.H.I.E.L.D., the more I don't understand why any of these heroes stayed with S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> 
Uh, so a week earlier, terrorists killed a driver and hijacked a train on the B-Line and packed it with C4 and chemical waste, trying to turn Coney Island into a wasteland. Cap runs and jumps across rooftops and jumps onto the train, fighting terrorists and using his shield to defend fire from a helicopter flying alongside. Really cool action scene. He grabs one of the terrorists and threatens him uh, to defuse the bomb. Otherwise, he'll hold him in place and make sure he's caught in the blast. Sharon reads off the list of injuries and collateral damage from Cap's methods. And Cap, like a fucking 10-year-old, just says, You're right, Sharon. I should have let them blow up the train. That would have been better. And it's like... Fucking like, gaslighting right off the bat. Is that <laughs> gaslighting? I thought that was just like petulance. Like, I thought he was just being a little shit. Like, a, like a little turd, you know? I mean, he just starts talking about, like, what would you have rather me done? You know, like... Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, uh... I, I kind of like agreed a little bit with this. Like what? Okay. Well, what were the other options? I don't understand why she's getting so soft on him. Mm -hmm. um, other than I guess knowing him so fucking well, which you could probably speak to knowing him so well about how he fights and like how strong he is and what he'll do to an enemy. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know if you were going to say it, but yeah, he like breaks some, one of these dudes jaws in like a, four places or something. And that's where she's like, you didn't have to do that because I guess she knows he normally doesn't. I'm right. Is that, <laughs> yeah. Is that what it's okay? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's like normally like a bit more reserved, but he's definitely been like he, at least he's being presented as having been on edge lately. Yeah. In, the, yeah. in this okay. book. And uh, you know, he was just a little bratty ten year old talking to her, and she responds, "That's not what I meant," and you know it. Look, Steve, I know it's different now. I know it's a new world. I'm on the front lines in it just like you are. But the man I knew didn't hit that hard unless he had to. There it seems is. to me that ever since the Red Skull escaped last month, you've been more on edge, more violent. And so there we there we have the uh, the logic behind his uh, what aggressiveness, we'll call yeah. it. Because I was watching it and I was like, or reading it and I was like, okay, well, that's not. He's stopping the train, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know too much about the character. Um, but I mean, I'm guessing like their past is is pretty deep. Yeah, they're like on again, off again lovers. That was honestly like the weirdest part to me about the MCU movies was spoilers. Like, you know, he starts to he hits it off with Peggy and then yeah. like, you know, Sharon is like her niece, I guess. Great niece. I don't remember which one, but is related to Peggy. Then he like totally starts banging Pe uh, Sharon like in the comics. And then, uh, like, that's, like, his current girlfriend, or ex-girlfriend now, I guess. Um, but, like like I said, on again, off again. And then in the movies, he, like, is with Peggy, then he goes back down to Sharon, and then he, huh. like, goes goes back in time and spends the rest of his life with Peggy. And it's like, ah, oh, that's a little, I, I, that's kind of double dipping. That's a little, I mean, literally. Uh, yeah, that's kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he actually boned in the MCU. I didn't I like get how he has this strong moral code, but then <laughs> no <laughs> ethics, apparently, when it comes well, like, to relationships. <laughs> well, honestly, like, I mean, he only did that in the movies. I feel like in the movies, like, I don't know if he was like a sexual person. Like, I know he kissed Sharon Carter in the movies, but like I in my head, I'm like, did they bone? I don't know. And then also she shows up in Falcon Winter Soldier and she has a weird character turn. I'm like, is she pissed? Because her boyfriend left? Like, is that why she's doing this? I don't know. We're getting off topic. I apologize. Cap tells her that when he dreams, he sees the war, World War II, and all things he couldn't do in it. Uh, all the dead men, all the trenches, and Bucky. 
He lives in a constant state of regret, and no matter how much time passes, he's trapped in the past. Getting back to the case, those men that Steve stopped a week earlier were from a defunct aim cell that shouldn't have been around, and there's no motive for them. None of it makes sense. Sharon dips, and Steve walks through a holographic wall disguising his apartment from the street. An ominous-looking bald man with a red beard walks by and makes note of Steve's apartment. Back inside, Steve looks out the window, mirroring what Skull was doing earlier in the issue. I always think that parallel is really interesting. The way he just like sits in front of the window and like surveys the city. It was a yeah, very, very yeah. similar scene between the two characters. Yeah. Back in Skull's penthouse, he waxes poetic like a goddamn sociopath saying, I could put a bullet between your eyes anytime I want and you'd never see it coming. But that would be too easy. I need to make you suffer because you do it so well, Rogers. Suffering, I mean. And that's our destiny after all, isn't it? The two of us locked in eternal combat down through the years, keeping each other miserable. What would we even be without the other? I suppose it's time we found out. But before you die, I promise you, you will know suffering on a whole new level. In Skull's penthouse, we see a mask, the same face of the ominous looking bald man with a red beard. Skull answers the phone and it's General Lucan who's confirming that the Skull has the Cosmic Cube. He threatens Skull, reminding him he's a powerful man. And just as Skull is about to threaten back, he shot through a back. Uh, sorry, shot through his back. A man zip lines to Skull's balcony, picks up the Cosmic Cube and the phone. He tells Lucan, mission accomplished, and the Skull is dead. Okay. <laughs> what so a Skull, banger opening. How the fuck did Skull last through eternity basically like this motherfucker lasted past world war ii fucking just chilling this whole time using weird disguises that look like a red-headed vladimir lenin and then yeah you noticed that right yeah yeah okay. there's a Not- lot of lenin looking motherfuckers in this book for some reason like there's another russian general later on that mm-hmm. looks exactly like lenin i was like I-, I had to reread it a few times to make sure it wasn't lenin oh vasily karpov yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep yep uh-huh it's it's just mainly the bald and then the exact same mustache uh, goatee, goatee combo. combo yeah um yeah Red Skull went out like a fucking punk ass like I'm just surprised he uh, <laughs> was so vulnerable I guess. yeah I remember I grabbed this issue I was 14 I found it like at a local bookstore back when they those places a were still around and b used to sell comics. And I remember reading that thinking like there had to be like some kind of printing mistake. I'm like, no, but like, <laughs> I know the Red Skull. He like, he's a really bad guy and they killed him in the first issue. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> is this like an error? Like, did I get like a very special issue that like got messed up at the printer? <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's funny. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. Um, I guess I expected way worse, too. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, R.I.P. Red Skull, I guess. Yeah. Rest in piss. That's yeah. RIP. <laughs> I was about to say we'll miss you, and I was like, no, we won't. No, we actually. won't. No. Uh, issue 2 came out a month later, December 29th, 2004. Beneath Manhattan, two agents with aid written on their armbands are wondering why the Skull hasn't called them yet when Crossbones emerges from the shadows and tells them to be patient. Meanwhile, Steve is dreaming that he's back in World War II with Bucky and the other invaders, a team of superpowered metahumans fighting for the Allies back in World War II. He holds a dying Bucky in his arms before he wakes screaming. He comments how that's not how the battle went and his memories and dreams collide when S.H.I.E.L.D. calls. 
It's Sharon, and she's asking him to come up to the helicarrier. On the deck, Nick Fury tells him the Red Skull has been killed, but they need forensic confirmation. Now, in an earlier volume of Captain America, the Red Skull's mind was put into a clone of Steve Rogers because comics are stupid and wonderful. And uh, there's like some uh... there's some law or protocol that basically says uh, to prevent this from ever happening again, we cannot keep blood cells, skin cells. We can't keep any genetic record of Steve Rogers to prevent this from happening again. So they need to test to see if this guy is genetically identical to cap to confirm that it's actually red skull. So that's why they're bringing him in. Okay. Okay. Also, you know, they got history, so it'd be kind of nice if your friends told you when they find your arch nemesis across decades and time and space uh, dead in a building. Yeah, but uh, I feel like it wasn't all like with good intentions, because uh, the more I fucking see Nick Fury, the more I don't trust this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. He's a fucking. Does he ever have a redeem, rede- like redeeming moment? Like, is he? Because like he's always fucking just conniving all the time. So we're talking about Nick Fury now, and like I understand, we already talked about Secret War. This story obviously takes place before Secret War and like congruently with Secret War. Okay. I think there is like an explanation as to like why Cap is no longer talking to Nick Fury in the series. But as of this issue, and again, Secret War was delayed for a super long time. Like it took like 16 months for five issues to come out. Okay. Maybe, maybe even more. So like that really screws up the timeline too. Uh, Nick Fury, this is, I think, honestly, one of the last stories we'll talk about Nick Fury in. And then he doesn't come back until I want to say like 2008 or so 2009 with an event called secret invasion. That's the next time he comes back. So that's okay. Four years real time. I'm very curious about secret invasion. By the way, I'm very excited to uh, get to it with you. I kind of want to do like a Q and a episode where it's basically just like you and I talking about our thought process for how to best do the show. And I want to get that out there to get feedback from people. And uh, I'm really excited to to cover the secret invasion side. But I also kind of want to like lay out like a roadmap of like what to expect. So if people like this show and they want to actually buy the physical books, they can have like a syllabus almost of like what books oh, they should be tight. grabbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at I'd least like, like which books they should like rent in advance. Also, um, we can do like Marvel Unlimited links. This also, again, is not sponsored by Marvel Unlimited, but <laughs> it is wish. really, yeah, uh, yeah it, yeah. Um, it is a really nice way to to have everything easily, and we can even put like Hoopla links and shit like that too. Maybe that would be yeah, cool. yeah, that would be cool. Um, but yeah, that's that's another episode for another time. Also, it'd be nice to like not write a script for an episode. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. Uh, yeah, one day we'll just have uh, Nick Fury himself on, and then we can just yeah, ex- him. explain yourself, sir. Yeah. <laughs> While uh, the genetic testing is being worked on, they go to the scene when Steve recognizes the mask. He starts to let himself believe that uh, might actually be the Red Skull's body lying on a slab up in the helicarrier. After flashing back to the first time he heard of the skull, Steve acknowledges he was created because of the skull in a way. And it's clearly going through some shit. The shield tech finds uh, that the house was housing. Oh, sorry. The shield techs find the case that was housing the cosmic cube and the receivers that feed into it. They're able to trace where it's being fed from, and they all understand it's bad news when they trace it back to Manhattan. 
patrolling the sewers. Cap and Sharon get to talking and he's getting paranoid about Sharon and Fury babysitting him. But it turns out Fury doesn't want her to babysit him. He wants her to find out if Steve is responsible for killing the skull. They come across one of the agents and Steve interrogates him, learning that aid stands for advanced ideas and destruction. And he's there <laughs> on behalf of the skull. Yeah, it's super lame. I understand. I like I know I'm like trying to like pitch comics to you as being like this really cool thing. Like it's really like progressive medium. And then like you see like aid written on like a terrorist arm. It's like what were I advanced well, ideas and destruction? It's lame as hell. I understand. <laughs> well, I mean, like, let's be real here. Like a lot of like militant cells are very fucking lame like it's not it's not like this isn't i mean like it's feasible it's plausible like that uh, terror it's just it's a fucking lame ass name is all well, like saying. yeah i mean i guess like on top but of the works. oath on top of the oath keepers having like yeah. a horrible mission statement it's also just like a really fucking lame name to call yourself an oath keeper you know yeah, um, three percenters. It's it's just yeah. It's not like they're they're not fucking genius names. So like yeah, the, yeah, the it's, Proud it's Boys. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Come on, dude. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, fucking exactly. If I were reading a Marvel comic and like the main like terrorist cell were called the Proud Boys, like I well, that's I'd like, laugh my ass off. That's like literally an episode of Seinfeld, right? Where George like takes away that. Uh... <laughs> I uh, got that scholarship to that kid who wanted to be a city planner. And then he like lines up with the Van Buren boys. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, I gotta be honest. Van Buren boys sounds, if not cooler than at least just as cool as the Pratt boys. What's um, funny is like here in Arizona, one of our main cross streets, it just like goes all the way down Phoenix. Uh, it's called Van Buren. Yeah. So, <laughs> I feel like someone should make something happen. You could take the name the Van Buren boys and use it as a force for good. You could take it back. You yeah, know, it's like, it oh, man, who planted all these vegetables? Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's the Van Buren boys strike again. Who seed bombed all this beautiful lettuce yeah. on our property? <laughs> um, another agent comes up and starts firing on Steve and Sharon. Crossbones is in disbelief that they were found and Steve throws his shield and just knocks over these eight agents like they're goddamn bowling pins. Ding, ding, ding. It was just they've... like <laughs> <laughs> very fucking video gamey. It was great. Yeah, they always explain that like Steve isn't like I think he's got like increased healing or whatever because of the super soldier serum. But they basically explain that he's just like three times stronger, three times. He's like basically like a super Olympian is like how they've always like historically explained his powers and so like i guess i just don't understand how that like really gives him like perfect mental geometry to bounce his shield off 15 different things and get it to come back like it's a boomerang like i don't understand it i love the visuals like i think it looks really cool i think it's awesome that like he doesn't have a single offensive weapon in his arsenal he literally just has like a defensive shield i really like that symbolism but man no one's ever been able to explain the uh the the beep boop you know, the bippity bop of, of the shield to me. I'm assuming just super like speed allows you to like process situations really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but also crossbones is a real villain name. So like, you know, it's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> <Doesn't matter>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's up with crossbones this is the first time I've ever seen him. Is he Mexican? I don't think so. He's in the MCU movies. Oh, really? Yeah, he's um, 
He's that guy who leads the Insight team in Captain America Winter Soldier. Okay. And then he's the guy who dies in like the first scene in uh, Captain America Civil War. Like the terrorist guy who's trying to blow up that building in, in Lagos, I think Does it he was. have like the full crossbones like outfit on? Or is he just he has, dude? He has a mask with some like okay. uh, mechanized enhancements, basically. You know, like... Yeah. Like a knee brace that like makes him so he can like jump higher or whatever okay. uh, in the in the movies and stuff. I want to rewatch he, these movies now. In this, yeah. he's just like kind of like a physical powerhouse guy. Okay. Um, but he's like mask one of the is very similar to like the other Los Muertos like mask. Yeah. And then it also has like he mentions something in Spanish or some kind of reference to something in Spanish. I don't remember what it is. So I just assumed that maybe he might have been. But... I have no idea, but I feel okay. like <laughs> I feel like. It's tough because I know Spain has a history of fascism. Like, you know, we got we got Franco, right? Sure. But I mean, they also have a history of really cool anti-fascists. So. Yes. Yeah. No, sorry. I wasn't I wasn't talking on that. I'm just saying, like, I don't know, like, if. I don't know if Red Skull would be, like, welcoming to, like, a Spanish person in, like, his, you know, like, upper echelon thing. Like, I, like I, you know, that like, that's. Sense. That's the only reason I'm I'm okay. hesitant hesitant to say yes is because like Red Skull is like such a piece of shit. So is that what's happening here? So maybe we haven't gotten to that point yet. So stop me. But has, is Crossbones working with Red Skull? Because I was under the impression that maybe he wasn't. No, he he definitely is. Uh, okay, we're about okay. to we're about to finish up the issue, and um. Oh, he does yeah, take the, his mask off now. I remember. He's yeah. Not uh, they find a bomb and manage to deactivate it by using Cap Shield to disconnect it from the power grid. Back at Skull's apartment, uh, they figure out that there was a cosmic cube there and that whoever killed the Skull has it now. Crossbones overhears that last bit and goes topside, calling the other aid cells from a payphone and tells them to set their timers. The world burns tonight in the Red Skull's memory. Oh, that's right. Yep. Okay. He did say that. Yeah. Issue three came out two months later, February 9th, 2005. Over in London's underground tube system, some flamboyantly dressed aid agents are talking about the new plan now that the skull is supposedly dead, but some gunfire demands their attention. Back on the shield, helicarrier command deck teams are getting debriefed over the Atlantic on their way to Paris. Cap manages to sneak away for a little break. Looking in the mirror, he remembers uh, walking a warehouse with Bucky on a tip from British intelligence when they're suddenly ambushed by Baron Zemo, the last mission before Bucky was killed and Cap was put on ice, but something about the memory is wrong. He's called back up to the command deck when Union Jack, a British operative and ally to S.H.I.E.L.D. and Cap, calls in with a situation report on the tube tunnels. Turns out Skull's entire team was wiped out by forces unknown. There's one body from the attacking team and Sharon makes plans for the text to show up and get the info on who they're dealing with. We learned that the flamboyantly dressed agent is actually a character named Mother Knight, a lieutenant who worked for the Red Skull going all the way back to the 70s in our time. When the Red Skull had a daughter instead of a son, he wanted to kill her. But Mother Knight stepped in and promised to raise the girl to have the same bigoted hatred as the Red Skull did. Ooh, that's nice. Well, that's lovely. The family yeah. got to bond in the end. Yeah. She almost got killed by her dad, and then the mom convinced him she could hate just as much as him. That's beautiful. I don't even I don't even think she was the mom. I think she was just like a, Oh. Just some some cool some cool like like teacher, you know. Yeah, what what's it like uh not a stepmom, but a mom who stepped up, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's powerful yeah. stuff right there. Yep. Yeah. 
All right. Over Paris, where the final bomb is. Cap and Sharon spot and aim hover jet. You're you're not explaining something. We need to go back a second. Oh, what I miss. Um, how did what 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 is Cap and Sharon traveling in, George? Oh, they're in a flying car. Yeah, I left that part out. It's not just a flying car either. It's a red convertible with the top down Porsche uh, hovering with hover tires. Yeah, that is a uh, staple, I guess, of this era of books. Um, I, which, did like, have a, I did want to know more about this because these motherfuckers this, are flying in a red Porsche. This era of books is, like, I think phenomenal, <laughs> but is, like, such a throwback to, like, the 70s Captain America stories with, like, Cap and Falcon, like, working together, you know, fighting, like, against, like, a, a thing called, like, a mad bomb that was, like, going off in Harlem and, like, causing, like, a race riot kind of deal. Like, that, those are like the stories that they're drawing on for inspiration okay. for the, for this run. And that was absolutely the days of like, you know, Jack Kirby just drawing like a wild ass flying convertible That's car. Great. Okay. So it has like, it's a kind of a throwback then. Yeah. Okay, and cool. uh, it is not made an appearance in like the main MCU, but it was definitely in agents of shield. The, oh, okay. the, the ABC show, which I did not watch. I couldn't No, I watched the first like two seasons and honestly, like, I'm saying it was too nerdy for me. Like I just had a hard time getting into it. And overall, I think it was like uninteresting. And as soon as I found out it like stopped sort of feeding into the MCU, I like really didn't care anymore. That's fair. Uh, first season was fine though. First season was enjoyable. Also, I liked Bill Paxton when he was on that show. R.A.P. Bill. Yep. I don't even know who that is. That was a, uh, was a uh, Hudson from aliens game over, oh. man game over. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't know he was in that show. Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Bill. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, over Paris, where the final bomb is, Cap and Sharon spot a name Hoverjet and think they may be the ones who ice the Skulls team in London. Steve jumps out of his flying car, one, because he's a badass, and two, because comics are the best. See, I did write something about the flying car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. He blinds the pilot with a flashbang and forces the jet down to the street. The AIM agents disembark and begin shooting at Cap, who promptly kicks the shit out of all of them in, from, in front of the Champs-Élysées. Uh, the AIM agents are subdued, and the WMD they took back from the aid agents is recovered, and Fury gives Sharon and Steve the night off, since this is probably the last night they have before shit really hits the fan. Walking by the Eiffel Tower, Cap reflects on his first time in Paris, Back in August 1944, he was there liberating Paris with the French resistance and comments on how he can't stand to hear Americans call the French cowards since he saw French civilians, men, women, and children go up against armored tank divisions. Yikes. Yeah, yeah freedom fries, though, am I right? That'll fucking show him. God, that's... What's that? I saw that trending. We'll have. I mean, you don't have to explain it now, but I don't know what uh, that means. Well, like Freedom Fries, that was like because uh, like the French didn't want to support the U.S. in the Iraq war. Like they didn't commit troops to help. So instead of people were like, oh, yeah, well, we're not calling them French fries anymore. We're calling them Freedom Fries. And it was like probably like the dumbest moment. Like even I as like an 11 year old was like, this is dumb. <laughs> this, French this fries is, aren't even from France. Yeah, this is this is bad and you should <laughs> feel bad about it. Okay. It's cool. The comics get more political and so do we talking about Steve Bannon's ghost face talking about <laughs> Franco and the Spanish fascists. Uh, yeah. God, comics are the best. But I they did make like you, that. Like, they make you I, think about so much. I did appreciate that because I think um, 
this isn't to shit on anybody specific but like there are there is a common thing here in the west of thinking that like our issues are isolated and that like we are the best and that there is nothing else but like i think it's a a very easy thing as an american to be very black and white about things um and it's uh no pun intended in this racist country but like you know i think i think it is like a really interesting um a really interesting point that realizing that like situations aren't as as simple as they always seem yeah um, and there's real people's lives involved and i did appreciate that like little moment because mm-hmm. i have plenty of criticism for captain america later but like as sure. of this moment i i did appreciate that a lot uh, yeah that's fair yeah that was a cool that was a cool uh line that they added Back at a bar outside Pittsburgh, a drunk man named Jack sees Cap on the news and tells the bartender, someone shitting on the French, that he used to work with Cap. The bartender doesn't believe him, so Jack leaves, but not before the bartender calls him sad. Getting something from the trunk of his car, Jack is called out by a darkened, mysterious figure that he thinks he recognizes. The man kills Jack and stuffs him into his own trunk before driving the car away. Issue 4 came out March 16th. 2005. Wow, we're we're flying through this. Look at us. I mean, we're 40 minutes in, so that's a good point. Yeah, but the first six minutes were were Elden Ring, and we spent 20 minutes talking about (laughs) how dumb of a name the fucking Proud Boys are. (laughs) In a limo driving through New York's financial district, Lucan ends a phone call saying he'll be in touch when his confidant Leon stresses that Lucan is stretching himself thin. Between killing Skull, taking the cube, and using the assassin from the old Soviet weapon storage facility, he's doing too much. Lucan tells him not to worry, but to help him take over an energy conglomerate when their car stops in front of Roxxon headquarters, an oil and petroleum business that is generally the bad guy in any Marvel story it appears in. They were in one of the Spider-Man games, right? Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. And they're also, I think... um, they basically had like an Exxon Valdez story in like Iron Man three, the movie, and they were like trying to blame Roxxon for, uh, for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they appear all the time. Like they're usually like, you know, the the white collar criminals that are trying to screw over like Tony Stark or something, or like pollute and get away with it. You know, like just doing stuff like As that. There's a lot of green stories that actually came out of comics. Yeah. Ooh. Fury calls Cap at his apartment and lets him know about something big having to do with Steve, the U.S. military, and possibly the Red Skull's death, but since it's the U.S. military and S.H.I.E.L.D. is an extension of the U.N., he can't help. Steve calls Tony Stark, the invincible Iron Man, and gets his fastest jet. Fury calls Carter in for a briefing and gives her the rundown. They've recovered the rifle that killed the Skull and found a set of prints on it that belonged to, of all people, Jack Monroe, the drunk person killed outside Pittsburgh in the last issue. And Fury tells us exactly who this guy, this former sidekick, sidekick to Cap is. He was a crazed fan who became Bucky in the 1950s, but then S.H.I.E.L.D. cured him and reintroduced him to society. Cap helped him however he could, but Jack was still on edge, if not over it several times throughout his life. He was also a S.H.I.E.L.D. operative once upon a time, and one day when he thought he was getting vaccinated, he was injected with a GPS tracker. Fucked up! <laughs> Fucked well, not, up, dude! Not, not that, but it's just like, I don't know, I, I genuinely believe that when I got my COVID vaccine, that I, no one's tracking me with my COVID vaccine. They don't have to. They've got my entire internet history and my phone. Like, they're already tracking me. Like, they don't need to inject another tracker. Yeah, but I just think it's so funny in, like, Zuckerberg. a post... 
yeah, post-COVID world just to read about like, oh, thought he's getting a vaccine, got a GPS tracker. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I could see where maybe some of these theories come from. <laughs> some asshole read it online. Like, okay, so not to be too relevant, but we have shit like the Ghost of Kiev, right? <laughs> mm. And um, like that didn't turn out to be a real thing. It was just some fucking YouTuber that came up with the name and then it just kind of like turned into a whole thing. Um, so like, I don't know, maybe some stupid Marvel nerd knew about this comic and made up yeah. the whole fucking 5G thing or whatever. It was, uh, is it, was it JFK that was supposed to come back from the dead or JFK Jr.? Jr., dude, of course Junior. not. JFK's dad is Jr., who's also dead, who's going to come back. JFK Jr., that was the plane crash in the 90s, right? Yeah, yeah. Papa was the one with the uh, brains on the backseat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Fury wants Sharon to track Jack Monroe down, and he doesn't want Steve to find out about it. Uh, Cap went to Arlington National Cemetery, where he's standing in front of two desecrated graves, a tombstones to a William Nasland and a Jeffrey Mace, two people born in 1918 and 1921, respectively who at one time held the title of Captain America, taking Steve's place after he and Bucky went MIA fighting Baron Zemo. Nasland was the first to be Captain America after Steve and died saving John F. Kennedy from an assassination (laughs) attempt during his senatorial campaign, and that's when Mace took over. But no one knew who these men were. Their time as Cap was classified, so this has to be an attack on Steve. So That's his logic. JFK was never killed canonically? In no, he was killed. He was killed canonically, but they were saying like while he was running for senator, like of he's Boston. Oh, I see. Okay, Boston okay, senator, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it did have the senator thing. Yeah, I think I actually lived reasons. not too far from where he actually announced like his presidential campaign. Like he oh, he did he did all that stuff in East Boston, like right by Logan International Airport, and like uh, the Maverick stop on the Blue Line. Whew, I remember things. I'm proud of myself yeah. for remembering yeah. that that, that T stop went to Maine. I thought he just, re- I only remember JFK for like getting mad about dumb shit. And then like the, the time where he was like dead and <laughs> Marilyn Monroe and a cake. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Only uh, not, not Maine. Sorry. Massachusetts uh, in Boston. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, while thinking about who could do this, Cap's mind drifts to being the prisoner of Baron Zemo during the war, but he snaps back to reality when his tires shot out by crossbones. The Red Skull's right-hand man who went dark when the Manhattan bomb failed to explode. Fighting on the highway, Steve can't focus at all. His mind races from the present to his time as Zemo's prisoner and back again. Crossbones is just annihilating Steve, who calls him a coward for defacing graves. Crossbones says he had nothing to do with that, and he's only there because some Russian told him where he could find Steve, sending him in his, uh, sorry, seeing him in the state, though. Crossbones feels like it's too easy, so he just leaves him broken on the side of the road and escapes. In Philadelphia, Agent Carter thinks she's finally tracked down Jack Monroe's GPS signal. She opens the door in an abandoned apartment building and is promptly knocked out in one hit. And that is the end of the issue. Um, I'm noticing a common theme between uh, I'm going to call these these two villains, Crossbones and Red Skull. And I call awareness. Yeah, well, that and also like I think it's like the the James Bond villain fallacy where it's like, no, I can't just kill you. I must make you suffer, Bond. You know, it's like Skull, if you could have killed Captain America at any time, like you probably should have Crossbones. Like he's like 
right there, man. Like you can literally separate his head from the rest of his body and he can't do anything to stop you. Yeah. Uh, you might, you might want to do that, you know? Right. I'm not advocating for the death of someone, especially a character who I love like Captain America, but I feel like you really got to like, you know, take these shots when you got them, you know? Yeah. I don't really understand um, why this is being done at all other than just like the the point of having an action scene but like i don't know yeah it's it's uh kind of i thought that was kind of stupid i think it's being done to show that like cap is so mentally distressed that it's physically affecting him like i I think that's why it's in the story i also i think you're right like pacing wise something needed to happen um yeah yeah because i mean he could have just crashed his bike or some stupid shit you know like but yeah, and then it just would have been like some dumb French existentialist novel, you know, that would have yeah. been like... <laughs> I'm here for that. Yeah, Albert Camus in America, yeah. <laughs> Camus? Camus? Okay, let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> Issue 5 came out a month later, April 27th, 2005. With bruises all over his face, Stephen Fury walked the command bridge of the helicarrier and think they have a lead. They are able to find out that a random dead guy in London was part of a regiment of ex-Soviet soldiers who followed General Alexander Lukin, a major Cold War player who fell off the map with the Union and came back three years ago as the head of the International Cronus Corporation, with offices in every major city in the world. Turns out Lukin has almost no file. Even the KGB didn't keep tabs on him, and he was the protege of a general named Vasily Karpov. That's, That's how you know this is fake. The KGB had tabs on everybody. <laughs> yeah, but not if he was the KGB, you know, like I'm sure he could delete his own internet search history. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Karpov was a man that Steve knew from World War II. Steve tells Fury that Kronos is actually a village that used to exist outside of Stalingrad, the last place he saw Karpov back in 1942. God, this fucking part rules, George. Is this your favorite? Do you just like the World War II Cap comic stuff? I think so. I just love the art style here. Uh, you'll be really happy to know that eventually the comic does just become a World War II flashback comic. Oh, that's and, it's just, and they actually got like a whole bunch of like really classic artists like come back. Like there's one where he's like fighting like werewolves, like Nazi werewolves. It's really good. Yes. Okay, cool. Good to know. Uh, one day they ambushed a German tank column and at the end of it, Karpov executes a prisoner to Cap and Bucky's dismay. The man was a cousin of Karpov who turned on Russia and fought for the Germans. This is right before Stalin launched Operation Uranus. <laughs> Uranus. Is that, is that how it's, is it Uranus? Uranus. Okay. Launched Uranus Operation. Good, though. I like it. Operation I Uranus. Thanks for talking about, <laughs> you said, you said Uranus was good. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, this is right before Stalin launched Operation Uranus, a plan that stalled the entire Nazi invasion and cut off their supply lines for the winter. Uh, but the Nazis had a super weapon and Cap and the evaders were sent in to make sure it didn't go off. After torturing a German prisoner, Karpov learns a weapon is being kept near them in a small village named, what of all places, Coronas. It's being guarded by Nazis reinforced with metahumans, super soldiers who are like Cap. Karpov and Cap can't sleep before the mission and have an intense conversation. You don't like our ways, Karpov says. How easy it is for you to judge us. When Nazis control half of your Washington, D.C., when they turn your own brothers against you, then you can judge. Which seems like a great argument, right? Yeah. Like Very it, valid. 100% it is, valid. It isn't, because Cap responds, well, maybe if your leader hadn't been so obliging when they invaded Poland, you wouldn't have the wolves at your door like this. 
And I feel like that just fucking sucks, right? Because, like, that's not always the fucking citizen's choice, you know? That's not always everybody's choice. Like, real-world situations, like, you know, that's not really how... You can't you can't rely on your government to, like, decide what's going to happen, you know? Because, <laughs> like, that's... it's not always going to be what you want, and sometimes you have to... Fu- I don't know. I fucking felt that a little bit, where it's just, like, when they're actually at your door, what do you do, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's another part coming up that like I'm, that kind of touches on this, but keep going. After that, they have a dick measuring contest, and Cap <laughs> tells him that if you want to survive, you better follow my orders. Which I guess if he doesn't have the bigger dick, then at least he has the smarter dick. Um, so I think that was smart dick. Yeah, love a good smart dick. Yep. I couldn't tell if I wanted to write that, or I guess if he doesn't have the bigger dick, at least he is the bigger dick. You know, I couldn't decide like wordplay wise, which one I wanted to go with. And I went with smart dick. Cause I think a smart dick is just a, just a funny concept. Yeah. We should just redo the smart guy theme song. Just smart dick. I feel like he's a, a smart dick. Yeah. Smart dick. Smart dick. Yeah. You're right. I think there's something to it. He's a smart dick on his own time. You can take, he continues his story and drops a juicy tidbit about their advanced scout, Bucky, who, while this scene plays out, is just slithering through German defenses and murking all these SS troops. Quote, this is wh- what I wanted. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Sorry, yeah. quote, which is the real secret of uh, what Bucky was. The official story said that he was a symbol to counter the rise of the Hitler youth. And there was some truth to that. But like all things in war, there was a darker truth underneath. Bucky did the things I couldn't. I was the icon. I wore the flag. But while I gave speeches to troops in the trenches, he was doing what he'd been trained to do. And he was highly trained. He wouldn't have been out there with us if he wasn't. Yes. That right there. <laughs> Like that, that kind of goes back to that other scene he had with, uh, what's the other Stalin's name? <laughs> uh, Karpov. Uh, when yeah, they were but... in the tent and they were torturing <laughs> that guy to get information. Um, I think the thing that's interesting about Captain America is that he has this moral code that he thinks he aligns with, but it's just so interesting that like, he knows that they need guys to do the things that Bucky does. You know, like he knows that th- there's violent acts that need to be taken to be able to get the job done. And then at the same time denies being like that type of person, but like enables the people that are, you know? Yeah. Okay. With not getting his hands dirty, but like absolutely needs people around him to have yes. the, the dirtiest hands. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm not going to do it, but you do it right there. You're like, yeah, I'll command you to do it. So, yeah, I just found that really interesting as like a weird, like, mental gymnastics that this character does, probably. Yeah. Um, Or the writers have to do while they're writing him. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I I just, uh, I think that, like, when it actually comes down to, like, a situation where it's like, what do you do? Like, sometimes what you have to do isn't always flavorable. Yeah. No, super interesting. And I think this did a really good job because like we've talked about Bucky a little bit on other podcasts, right? Where like yeah, um so. we talk about Bucky being like one of Cap's like biggest regrets, and that's why he like doesn't want the young Avengers to to become a team because you know, like he had a teenage hero and he had to watch him die. He just didn't want yeah. anyone else to have to do that ever again. We also talked about um how J. Jonah Jameson in in the pulse episode that we recorded earlier this year that he wanted to be Bucky, but then 
Bucky died. And that was like when everyone sort of like saw Captain America a little bit differently. So like seeing him here, not as like the the sidekick, but as like the wetworks guy, you know. Yeah. Pretty yeah. pretty interesting like shift in, in how Bucky's normally presented. Yeah. No, I liked it a lot. I like this whole uh this whole art style and setting and everything. It's it's it provides a lot more, I think. Yeah. With the perimeter guards out, they think they're about to get the drop on the Nazis, but an alarm sounds, and dozens of soldiers come rushing out, firing. And Masterman, Hitler's personal super soldier, is there as well. Toro, the human torch, not that human torch, different human torch, an android human torch from the 30s. Very weird, very confusing. Uh, if you want to know more about that character, check out a book called Marvels by Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek. That'll explain who, who he is, I think, in like a pretty good, good manner. But uh, different human torch. Uh, and Namor, uh, yes, the same Namor that okay. you've tangentially heard about, same guy. Okay, okay, yeah. They come flying in. Cap comments how weird it must be for the Russians they were fighting with, using leather, wood, and steel to fight over square inches in a war of attrition, to look up and see men on fire flying, fighting each other in the sky. They approach the heaviest guarded building, and after Bucky takes out a machine gun nest, a green laser shoots out of the barn. This super laser is being operated by the Red Skull, causing the most destruction and havoc he can to cover his escape. Cap and the others don't chase after Skull. He's being carried away by Master Man. <laughs> They're like a baby. Yeah, that's so funny. I love that visual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and instead, stay behind to help the now destroyed village. Karpov thinks he can recover the weapon Skull left behind. But as his men approach it, it explodes from a booby trap the skull had set before escaping. His men are melting on the ground, and Karpov is completely unfazed. Cap tries to ream him out, but he doesn't care about what he's lost, saying, You do not understand. You cannot. You and the Germans, you have your super soldiers, your secret weapons. But we Russians have nothing but our winter. I thought that the line was fucking great. Yeah, no, it is. But also, um, I think we need to put a moratorium on Russians talking about winter i feel like it happens too frequently like i feel like it yeah. and i i understand they cut germany off from its supply lines and like basically starve them out in the winter i get that that's how they like push back the german advance i get that so like this was like a literal thing where like their secret weapon was the, their winter i get it but i feel like literally everything i've ever seen with russians you know it's just like how could you possibly think that was okay it's like we have much time to think in our long winters you know it's like it's always just some fucking line like that yeah and it's like can you it's like people in la always talking about like mm. <laughs> or like people talking about la why they don't want to live there being like i think i'd miss the seasons too much you know like it's just like them doing right. that shit uh, yeah i don't know i like i i shit about the desert a lot because that's what i'm around <laughs> so yeah. like if i were just in nothing but winter maybe i'd complain about it a whole lot but uh yeah that's a valid point i guess they do use that stereotype trope uh pretty pretty frequently yeah cap and the invaders bounce and karpov is walking through the streets of the village when he happens upon a young boy grieving his dead mother karpov takes him under his wing and promises to teach him what it means to be russian since he's already learned the hardest part that little boy's name alexander alec. cap it was alec Alexander. Alec. He just says, what's your name, you dumb little fuck? And he's like, Alec! <laughs> and he's just got tears in his eyes. It's mm -hmm. great. It's a great scene. 
Cap thinks this could all be Karpov's revenge when Fury shoots that idea down, saying Karpov died 20 years ago while Cap was still on ice. Cap finally admits to Fury that his memories have been messing with him lately, and he wants to solve that to see if reality and what he remembers match up or not. He asks Fury for transport, but doesn't say where he's going, and Fury gives him a plane anyway. After Cap leaves, Fury's secretary shows up and asks him if he's shown Cap the file yet, file she places on the desk called, quote, the Winter Soldier. No, I didn't show him the file, Fury says. I want to be 100% sure about this before I destroy his world, if that's okay with you. Issue 6, the final issue that we'll be covering today, came out May 25th, 2005. Beneath Philadelphia, the unknown assassin from previous issues is setting up what looks like a bomb. He places Jack Monroe, the person he refers to as, quote, the scapegoat, next to the bomb, while talking to General Alexander Lucan on the phone, he apologizes when he asks questions he doesn't need to know the answer to, but assures Lucan he'll take care of the shield woman, Agent Carter, who's tied up in the trunk of a car immediately. <laughs> on the deck of the helicarrier, Fury and an Agent Tapper are trying to not freak out that Carter hasn't reported in over 24 hours. We learned that Tapper is Sharon's ex, a dude who basically ended things when she took the liaison job with Steve and he couldn't handle his jealousy. Worried about her, he requests to join the team looking for her, and Fury approves, sending him into Philly. Toxic as fuck. Steve isn't looking for her because A, he doesn't know she's missing, and B, he's got a pretty full plate right now. Steve is in the English Channel, on an island that, according to his assigned pilot, shouldn't exist. He asks what this place is, and Cap says, quote, this is where I died. Cap begins walking the grounds of the island and approaches a dilapidated castle, the only thing of note on this little spit of land. Long quote. So many conflicting reports about that day. The day everything went wrong. So many false details leaked for top secret reasons. I read them all. Some say it all took place in England. One report I read claimed we were brought to Newfoundland. Sometimes I think I'm not even sure what really happened anymore. Did I ever really remember any of it? Or was I just filling in blanks? Like an accident victim who doesn't remember anything after getting in their car until they wake up in the hospital. No, I always remembered Zemo in the drone plane, always remembered it exploding, but the rest of it. I suppose it's possible that reading the reports about that day colored my perceptions. All I know for sure is these new memories have been resurfacing. Memories of Zemo capturing us, torturing Bucky, they feel far too real. Like something unlocking the part of my brain where they've hidden all this time and forcing me to acknowledge them. That's why I had to come here after all these years to find the truth. Whew. So it's kind of funny. Uh, the things he was referencing about, like, <laughs> some say it all took place in England. One report I read claimed they were brought to Newfoundland. That was actually, like, just conflicting Captain America stories that happened in the past. Where, like, you know, like, in one Captain America story, it was an island in the English Channel. And in one, it was, like, in Newfoundland. Okay. And so, like, this is, <laughs> this is like, kind of like a, a metatextual reference, I guess, yeah. for him talking about his own, like, confusing backstory. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, turns out the island he's on now is only mentioned in one report, the one prepared for President Roosevelt, and it's a small island between occupied France and allied Britain. Cap and Bucky were captured in England and brought here, where they were tortured by Baron Zemo. While walking through the castle and remembering just how shitty that day was, he happens upon a group of Nazi soldiers who immediately open fire. He punches them through a door that leads to a room where Baron Zemo is with a dozen more soldiers. He doesn't believe this is happening, but the bullets ricocheting off his shield are real enough to make him bug out and jump through a window outside to a courtyard. 
from cover, the fire stops, but it really seems like he's losing it. He can smell gunfire, and he thinks it has to be the Cosmic Cube messing with him. Continuing through the castle, he comes to the platform where probably the most defining moment of Cap's life happened, where he and Bucky on a motorcycle chase after a drone plane taking off and barely managed to grab it before it leaves the island. The thing is about to blow, and Cap tells Bucky to let go as he does, falling down towards the earth. Cap sees Bucky is caught on the plane and unable to do anything. It explodes, taking Bucky with it. Cap didn't know that Bucky was caught on the drone, that he wanted to escape but couldn't, and now he's racked with all kinds of new guilt, but more determined than ever uh, that even though the Cosmic Cube is weak, it is still powerful enough to unlock these memories and torture him with them. Whew. So that was real? So like he, the cosmic, I thought it was the cosmic cube messing with his brain and like altering the situation. So like that actually did open up his memory and like allow him to see. What yes. Happened. Uh... Yeah. So that stuff was like either very intensely happening in his head or happening actually. And then fading in and out because the cosmic cube is a shattered cosmic cube. It is put together from various other surviving cosmic cubes. And those bombs didn't go off powering it just yet. So it is still incomplete, but it is powerful enough to just mess with him in some pretty deep ways. Okay. So I do think, I genuinely believe he was being shot at. And then I think those soldiers just like phased out or, you know, they, it just tickled the part of his brain that makes him think he's smelling gunfire. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he did throw his shield and they kind of just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the runway by the plane he flew in on, Cap gets a premonition, a vision of Carter tied up in her exact location. He asks to be taken back to the States immediately. Literally a half hour later, Cap is parachuting into armed guards on a Philadelphia rooftop where Carter is restrained. He takes out the guards and immediately unties Carter, who tells him it's a setup, that she's seen the man who killed Red Skull and she thinks it's Bucky. From another rooftop, the assassin has Cap in his crosshairs and asks to take the shot when he's told that regardless of his feelings, he has to suffer a lot more before he becomes their problem and he can deal with them then. For now, it's time for their mission. The assassin presses a button. Elsewhere in the city, Agent Tapper finds the bomb and tries to disarm it. He tells Fury about the body next to the bomb, but before he has a chance to even do anything, it detonates, causing a giant green flash of light to explode just a few blocks away from Cap and Sharon. On a private jet flying away from Philadelphia, the broken Cosmic Cube is made whole again thanks to the energy from the blast, and a celebratory Alexander Lucan holds it lovingly in his hands. Quote, they may know my hand is in this, but they're Americans, remember? And we are a very wealthy and influential corporation. They will demand proof before they even begin to question us. And by that time, my game will be over and it will be far too late. And that concludes Out of Time, the first six issues of Captain America Volume 5. Fabio, <laughs> you said this is like your first big cap story. What'd you think? Yeah, so wait, real quick. Uh, was that not Bucky the Assassin? Because it looked like Winter Soldier, he had the fucking like metal arm with the red star. So this is the problem with reading this book now. At the time, it was like shocking because like there was a, a couple of comic deaths that like you weren't supposed to mess with. Right. Like the biggest ones are like Thomas and Martha Wayne. You're not supposed to bring those people back because that yeah. takes away like such a driving force for Batman. Uncle Ben for Spider-Man, like his original sin. Sure. You're not supposed to take that back. And then like, I guess to a lesser extent, uh jason todd the second robin 
Okay. And then and then it was Bucky. Like these are the people who were supposed to stay dead. And so it was really funny because around this time they were kind of toying with the idea of Jason Todd being back from the dead in over at DC. And uh, no one wanted to believe it was Bucky. The story was panned because everyone hated the idea of bringing Bucky back from the dead so much. And so Cap and the Winter Soldier and then Civil War and the impending MCU movies thereafter have totally taken a lot of the bite out of this story. But yes, that is absolutely 110% Bucky. But at the time, no one believed Marvel actually had like the, the balls to do it or like they thought it was like creative suicide for them to do it. So they were waiting to see okay, how does Marvel going to push this idea, get criticized all to hell, and then back out of this at the last second, like they always do in situations like this. So at the time, we had no reason to believe it was Bucky, but we also had no reason to believe it was anyone but Bucky. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. So I thought originally the guy that got fucking canned in the bar, like when he went to his trunk outside the bar, I thought that was Bucky at first. No, that was legitimately a guy named Jack Monroe who filled the place of Bucky for like the Captain Americas in the 1950s. Oh, interesting. So like when when Cap was missing, they they created a couple soldiers. And that's one thing that I think is really interesting about this story is I think it's weird because like compared to like a lot of other comics, this story is just about as much cleaning up Captain America's super convoluted history as it is about telling like the next, you know, Im- most important story in Cap's history. And okay. so like with, with Jack Monroe, they're like tying up a loose end with mm-hmm. Bucky. They're ostensibly tying up a loose end while also sowing the seeds for a different story to take place. Okay. And I think the next couple issues, uh, next couple issues are basically like talking about weird, weird small things like the next issue in the series is like all about Jack Monroe and it's like us learning his yeah, his backstory yeah. and like what what his deal is and why he was even mentioned in this comic whatsoever and then I think they actually like touch on Captain or not Captain America uh, Red Skull's daughter that was mentioned as like the, the one the woman raised like the dead woman in, in London okay. like they just touch on all the stuff and they just sort of like clean up his history and make it like way smoother like kind of like the way Jeff right. Johns was doing with like Green Lantern like they just fixing everything that was weird and confusing okay no that makes a lot of sense uh yeah i I opened up that second or the seventh issue there but didn't get that far into it that Uh, one i think is good but like a little like overwritten and like you and i were talking about this because we're also working on like a daredevil episode the kevin smith one yeah and yeah like the hardest part about that it's just like dude this feels like a book book like i just open it up and there's just so much text and it's like you're covering up all this like gorgeous art so it's like I'm already like a little miffed at you, not for making me read so much, but by covering up because like that this book, the Captain America book, that's by John Paul Leon, who's like rest in peace. One, two, like one of the most talented comic book artists I've ever seen. Like I think he does absolutely gorgeous shit. Yeah, it's so the fact that you're covering so much of it up with words is a little that's disconcerting. Fair. And the same thing with Kevin Smith covering up all of like Joe Casada's pencils and Daredevil. I'm like, <laughs> dude, what are you doing? This is like a gorgeous book that you're, I don't want to say ruining with your words, but uh, obfuscating with your words. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. And I think uh I think with Kevin Smith it's like he didn't he like he's not as seasoned of a comic writer as at this point at that point especially, but Yeah. Um yeah, I I I do love that book a lot. Um I like this book a lot as well. I uh, this is like my first foray into captain america and you know i don't always love these characters like i don't love iron man reading him i don't Mm -hmm. love captain america reading him you know per per se but like 
I, I really enjoy reading them um, because I think it gives you a lot of value. Just kind of like some of, some of the subject material. It just makes you think quite a bit. Um, yeah. And I, I think that there's a lot of really good shit, really good lines and really good moments of like deep thought um, into like all these people's psyches, which, you know, is good for anybody to like anal- analyze. But yeah, I really did enjoy it. Um, I don't know where's a good next spot to continue reading with Captain America. Um, I don't know if you have uh, like recommendations after this. I mean, hey, man, if you want to keep coming on for Captain America, we could totally do that. Uh, I would love to talk about the next story because I believe the next story is just straight up called The Winter Soldier. Oh, OK, cool. Uh, yeah, there's one him, so that yeah funny. there's one like tie-in issue for Captain America which is really strange uh, for House of M because like so many House of M tie-in books like were their own miniseries but there was a couple yeah. ra- random books that like got a tie-in issue and I think the Pulse was one of them I think Captain America was one of them and so like I think volume two of Captain America like the trade paperback collection you know this this first six issues would have been volume one and then like volume two I think was like issues seven through nine and then 10 through 14, which is just like such a oh. weird, like, like you, it's just, you never see like that grouping together in a yeah. book that, that I can remember. Cause I think it was the 10th issue of cap. That was a tie in, but uh, yeah, no, I, I love the story. I think it's epic as hell. And then eventually it ties into civil war and that's like a really big deal. <sighs> and I'm so excited for where it's going, but uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk with the creative team a little bit. This was written predominantly by Ed Brubaker. Oh, sorry, this was written by Ed Brubaker with art predominantly by Steve Epting. I believe, like I said, the fifth issue is Butch Geist, but don't hold me to that. Uh, Ed Brubaker was best known at this time for his time on crime books over at DC. He did this book called Gotham Central, which told the story of the Gotham Central Police Department. And the entire premise of that book was like, yeah, we want to do like a police procedural, but we don't want Batman in this book ever. And so it's like just the actual like, ground cops dealing with Mr. Freeze and dealing with Clayface and, and all this, you know, bat shit, no pun intended, crazy stuff that was happening in Gotham without, you know, superpowers. And so that was what he was best known for at the time. And then he eventually uh, probably now is like best known for his own personal series that he does with an artist. Uh, I think Sean Phillips is the one he does the most of it, but like he has a story called criminal and this guy just loves telling noir stories stories and he's i think he's really good at it like i think this is like espionage noir shit that we're getting from him on captain america yeah i could see that that makes sense and then steve epting um did a lot of work at marvel in 90s i think he did a lot of work on like the avengers around like operation galactic storm which was like a big crossover that i think was like meant to thematically be like the Iraqi war, I think uh, okay. I, I haven't, I've never read it. it. Honestly, it doesn't look like a very good story, but I've read like a couple what if issues about it. Cause I thought that seemed more interesting. Like they actually blow up earth in the what if stories. So I was like, Oh <sighs> shit. Yeah. Like I want to see the Avengers lose. That never really <laughs> happens. Uh, but he's just, I think a super talented artist. I really like his stuff. Um, this is now probably what he's best known for is this captain America run that he was on. And uh, he also did a book called The Marvels Project with Ed Brubaker later. And that was like a really fun, like pulpy, like look at the origins of the Marvel Universe, like just taking a look at things like in the 1930s. And I think that one was really fun. But oh, cool. okay. I think he does super clean lines. I really like the way these books are colored and inked. I think they have like a, a nice movie quality to them. Fabio, did anything about the art stick out to you? Um, 
Yeah, there were a couple things I liked. It's extremely detailed. Um, and I did like the the shadowing that they added into it. I, I could see like that noir kind of feeling to some of these uh, panels. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. It's I I don't know if it's like my favorite uh, art style, but it's definitely uh, unique enough, I'd say, to yeah. like appreciate on its own um it's got this very like uh the color palette i don't know how to describe it but it's got it's like a very much so a, a color palette of its time <laughs> of like the yeah. early 2000s yeah um, a lot of like digital inks and like i think they tried to mitigate it a little bit and it looks like they put like like vaseline almost like on some of the colors <laughs> to like try to try to mute them but like there yeah. was still like an underlying sheen that like kind of cut through I think yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think Steve Epting has like a particularly strong like personality in his art, but I think like his framing and pacing are like second to none. Like I think this guy knows exactly how to show a story, you know, like how that is a very good point. Yeah. Like how to choreograph scenes. I think he's absolutely incredible at that, but yeah. like his characters, it's not like, I mean, I, I feel like I could look at like an, a piece of Steve Epting art and like know it was Steve Epting without seeing like a signature on it. But I think it's harder to just look at like a single panel as opposed to like looking at a page. Like, I think I think that's right. where, what his strength is. It did, did he do the art for all, all six of these? Uh, I believe so, except for issue five, like the flashback issue okay okay so that's what i was wondering how many of these flashbacks he did because those that has a very distinctive art style so i was yeah, wondering he, if he was going back and forth or not he's like the main artist for this run of cats america but there's also two other artists i want to give credit to who we're going to be talking about a lot because i do kind of want to cover all 50 issues at least of cats america i don't know about like the the stuff after but uh i i just think it's like really fun storytelling no matter what we're getting through like issue 35 and you'll know why when we get there and I'm going to make you get there, but it's um, Steve Epting and then this artist named Butch Geis and this artist named Mike Perkins who have like overlapping styles. And then eventually gets to the point where like Butch Geis tells the stories that take place like in the forties. And then Steve Epting does like the modern day stuff or like Mike Perkins does like all the pages that have to do with black widow. Cause this, this book basically becomes like a team book by like issue 30 where it's oh, very heavily focusing on, Captain America, the Falcon, uh, Black Widow, and uh, all the villains basically start appearing in the book a lot more. It's it's um, it's really impressive. I really like it, and it has like very good seventies energy to it. Mm, okay, cool. <sighs> but we're talking about stuff way down in the pipeline. Fabio, any closing thoughts about Out of Time before we say goodbye to everyone? Uh, yeah, I think this is probably um. <laughs> Like you said, it definitely got some of that wind taken out of it by already having seen the Marvel movies and knowing who Bucky is yeah. <laughs> and the Winter Soldier and all that. But um, yeah, I thought it was really fun. I really, really enjoyed the flashbacks. Um, and I, I, I did appreciate some of the like introspective parts of the comic. Uh, but yeah, I, it didn't convince me. I know Captain America is one of your favorite characters. Mm -hmm. uh, this one so far has not convinced me to like move him too much in my scale of favorite characters, but yeah, that's fair. Um, it was a really good comic. I did enjoy it a lot and I do want to read more uh, Captain America because I am more interested in like actually understanding Bucky's character. 
I like him for a bunch of dumb reasons. Like, I think this is a good comic volume. I also think in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, like, he's really good at crowd control. Like, I think that's, you know, he just throws his shield and, like, knocks over eight people. I'm yeah, like, oh, he's, yeah. like, a good character. So, like, I think I'm taking, like, multiple influences uh, for, for why I like Cap. And also, like, a, I've read every Cats America comic since at least 2004. I've read Holy a bunch going, going back. So, it's like, yeah, if I've read every issue for the last, like, 18 years, like, yeah, I think it's safe to say I'm a fan. No, that's fair. Our question, are a lot of them like S.H.I.E.L.D. related to S.H.I.E.L.D. or are a lot of them just like um, him fighting terrorists? Like, is it usually like something to do with like him doing some mission for the U.N. or is this? No, no, not not all of them. I think this one is probably like of the books I mentioned this one and then like another book in like 2014. Things get really dark in the Marvel Comics universe. For a couple of years like after civil war and then they uh get hopeful again and then once they get hopeful again that's when he's sort of like back to business as usual doing shit for shield but um shield has like kind of a kind of an upheaval that happens in the comics in like 2008 i think and so shield is kind of off there's also like one cast america volume where he's like trapped in like a lost dimension with like one of his villains you know and like wow. 30 years go by and it's more like a like a John Carter of Mars story, you know, <laughs> starring Captain America Ooh. as opposed to like him fighting like, you know, Nazis or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, he, he has a lot of range. Um, no, I'm excited to get some, to some of that grim shit, George. Yeah. But, but then in like later stories, he like runs shield, you know? So oh, it's like, uh, okay. it's like, it's up and down. It goes back and forth and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ref- reflects the general health of the Mar- Marvel universe. Pretty, pretty accurately. I think. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, this was a fun one. I'm, I'm really excited to read more Captain America. I think this is a really good entry point um, for reasons like you said that, you know, it does. It, it is a, a moment of trying to clean up the series a little bit and the story. So, like, <clears throat> you don't need to know, like, a whole bunch about uh, Captain America to kind of just jump into this, which I did appreciate a lot. Yeah. And also, like you said, every Russian character looks like Lenin. So, like, that's yeah. something that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, some familiarity there. Yeah, you write a history book, you'll be right up to speed. Um, <laughs> I hope it didn't come off as insensitive talking about this comic uh, with light of recent news, Russia invading Ukraine. Um, different times, different times. Yeah, different times. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that uh, that puts a wrap on Cats America out of time. If you've made it this far in the podcast, I think that means you like this podcast and I really appreciate you. Uh, if you could go onto your podcast service of choice and uh, give us a rating. That'd be awesome because that'll get more eyes on the show and that'll attract more guests. I've been emailing so many comic professionals and actually a bunch of them have said, yes, they do want to come on. I'm very excited. And a couple of them have said like maybe in a bit. And then a a couple others have just not said anything at all, which, uh, you know, I get, I'm just some, just some dude with a microphone talking about, you know, coloring books basically. So, uh, you but haven't if you succeeded until you get to go fuck yourself. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but if you like this podcast and if you uh, give us a rating, then who knows? Maybe we'll get more people working in the medium on the show. And that'd be super exciting. Um, Fabio, do you want people to get in touch with you and talk to you about Elden, Elden Ring? Elder Elder Ring? Yeah, Elden give Ring. me some tips. I'm going magic route. So give me some tips. Uh, you can hit me up at, at, at Fabio Fantana. Cool. Yes. And you can hit me up at purplebird616. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please drop them there. And we'll talk to you real wicked soon-like. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in your ear holes next week. 
Bye. Love you. Bye.